You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, episode 23. Today, we're sitting down with Colorado-based nature photographer Jennifer Renwick to chat about being a full-time photographer, creating abstract images of nature, her creative process, the value of photography projects, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hey, everybody, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. I hope you're having a great day so far, and thank you for sharing a little part of it with me. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to invite you to check out my upcoming Compose with Clarity live virtual workshop, which will be held on the 21st and again on the 28th of September. We talk a lot about creativity and composition on this podcast, and if you've enjoyed those conversations and are interested in diving deeper into how to use compositional elements and different arrangements to create meaningful and impactful images, then I hope you check it out. As a podcast listener, I'm giving you 15% off the registration when you go to composewithclarity.com to register. There you will find out more details about the workshop, see what previous students had to say about it, and get the 15% discount. So again, go to composewithclarity.com to learn more, and I hope to see you in a couple of weeks. I'm super excited to bring you today's guest, Jennifer Renwick, because I have admired her work for a long time now. And in our conversation today, she gave a lot of great advice and insights into transitioning into being a full-time photographer, as well as insights into her creative process and a whole lot more. So let me give you a little background on Jennifer before we go ahead and roll the interview. After receiving her education in geology and then being trained in and practicing veterinary medicine for 14 years, Jennifer transitioned to being a full-time photographer in 2016 to travel and photograph the American West with her partner, David Kingham. She teaches numerous photography workshops where she includes lessons on visual storytelling, slowing down and connecting with the subject, and expressive photography. Her incredible images have been featured in National Geographic's online story called Underwater Beauty and in Outdoor Photographer, Landscape Photography Magazine, Lenswork Magazine, as well as Lenswork's Seeing in Sixes books and Lenswork's Our Magnificent Planet book. She is also a contributor for National Geographic's Your Shot Instagram account. Jennifer is also a staff contributor for the Slow Photography Movement and a founding member of the Nature First Alliance for Responsible Nature Photography. And finally, she is the co-owner of the Nature Photographers Network, along with her partner, David. And so without further ado, please enjoy my wide-ranging conversation with Jennifer Renwick. Jennifer, welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to finally meet you and get to chat a little bit. 
Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I was really excited a few months ago when you reached out to me and wanted to collaborate. So yes, awesome. I'm glad we could make it work finally. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. So I've already given a li- the listeners a, a little bit of background on you in the introduction, but I was wondering for people who aren't yet familiar with your work, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about you know who you are, who's Jennifer, and what inspired you to go into nature photography. Sure. So um, I am originally from the Midwest. Um, I grew up in Illinois in a town about 35 miles southwest of Chicago. Um, and after 34 years of living there, I kind of had a life change and decided, I think I'm going to head out west. Um, so my dad had already moved out to Denver a few years previous. And I, I kind of found that every vacation chance I got with work, I was heading out west to photograph. Um, I picked up a DSLR probably about seven, eight years ago now um, and photographed every chance I could. Um, I'm self-taught. I haven't taken, I didn't have any photography classes or anything in high school or college. And it was just, you know, about getting away from work, getting out into nature. And I just discovered it was so much happier in nature. Um, and it's where I really connected. So after getting divorced, um, I made the move out west. Um, I met David. And he had already been teaching workshops and photography for quite some time. And I he invited me. Well, we actually started dating. Um, mm-hmm. And then he said, you know, well, you know, I pretty much live on the road full time. I teach. You know, I don't know if that's something you'd be interested in. And I said, you know what? This is life. You have to take chances. So I quit my job made that move. And we've been on the road now for five years this May. Um, We do have a home base in Golden, Colorado. Um, We're here probably like every few months or so just for a few weeks. And then we're on the road again. Um, So we live in a 20, I think it's like a 24 foot travel trailer. Um, Okay. You know, it's set up like a little apartment. We have heat, um, refrigerator, freezer, air conditioning when we're plugged in, um, full bathroom. Nice. And it's, you know, it allows us to, you know, really stay in the landscape longer, um, to get to know places really well, because we don't teach workshops in places that we don't know intimately ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's been a really fun lifestyle. It, you know, it, it definitely has its disadvantages sometimes, but the pros outweigh the cons and it's been really fun. Um, my background, I have a geology degree. And after that, I decided I didn't want to work for an oil company (laughs) or go (laughs) on to get my PhD. So I switched gears into my other love, which was animals. So then I went into veterinary medicine and I worked in that for 14 years. Um, and then, yeah, gave that all up to hit the road and do photography full time. And I honestly wouldn't change it. And it's been quite a journey and I'm excited to see where it'll take me in the future. Yeah, yeah. So when you when you decided to take the leap, um, what was that decision process like for you? I mean, it sounds like you were sort of like, okay, take the life by the horns and do it. <laughs> or was it was it something that you spent a long time calculating out how to do it? And how did you know when you were really ready to to make the leap? It was kind of funny, because if you ask a lot of my friends, I'm a very calculated, planned person. Um, so the day I walked into work and said, Hey guys, I think I'm going to quit my job, head out west and travel around with, you know, David and teach photography workshops. And I think in their mind, they heard, oh, you're going to go live in a van down by the river. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, I honestly think a lot of them thought that. And I actually, you know, it was just, it was, it was out of character for me um, because, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a worry wart. Um, I, I don't take risks very often, but, at that point in my life, you know, I was divorced. Um, I had just watched my mom went through a 
terrible, terrible um, terminal disease. And I had been taking care of her for 12 years. Um, and she ended up, you know, dying and a few years ago, but when I was taking care of her, it was a, it was a big wake up call that life is very short and this is not, you know, life doesn't always go the way that we plan. Um, and it made me realize, you know, that, you know, I'm 30 something, you know, I'm happy, but am I really happy, happy? Um, you know, and I think it hit me one day on my way to work, I was sitting at a stoplight and it just random thought popped into my head. And I thought, how many days or how many times have I sat here at the stoplight the last 14 years? Like I work eight, 12 hour days every day. I have no time for myself. I think it's time for a break. And working yeah. in veterinary medicine, you can get compassion fatigue really easily. And I kind of hit that point. Um, mm-hmm. It's very important to take a step back when that happens. Um, and I just, you know, yeah, I just, I just decided, um, I talked it over with my mom because obviously I've been taking care of her and she's like, you need to go do this. She's like, you've been taking care of me for 12 years. Um, you know, it's time to go do something for yourself. You know, you haven't really had time to be Jennifer. Yeah. Um, so with her blessing, I, you know, headed out West. Um, and you know, I had a, a little family and friend connection and I went back to Illinois a lot of times to see her, but you know, it was really her blessing and just the realization of how life had taken a turn. Um, and just, you know, life is short and you have to do what makes you happy. And, you know, you, you're never, you never know how much time you have. So make the best of it. So, um, I had built up a little bit of a nest egg, but it was scary. I mean, you know, you leave a salaried job that you've had for 14 years, you know, you've got that security and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, are you really prepared to make this full time? Um, because, you know, despite what glamorous, you know, things social media shows you, it's hard, you know, and I think a lot of people have that misconception of, you know, I love photography, I'm pretty good at it, I'm going to sell prints, and that's going to be my income, and I'll be set. And that is not how it works. I mean, if you want to sell prints, you have to make that your full time job. And kudos to those of you that have been able to make it work. But you know, workshops are our main income. But it was a it was a little bit of a struggle, at least for the first few years. Um, I actually celebrated last year at tax time because it was the first year that I was actually able to show that I had actually made money. Um, yeah. And that took about four years. And that's usually yeah. what they say about small business. You know, I don't depend right. on making an income for the first few years. So I finally hit that point last year and it, it felt really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was a fun leap off a cliff and especially moving into a trailer after living in <laughs> you know, a comfy house for most of my life. Um, it was, it was very liberating. You know, I got yeah. rid of a lot of stuff. You realize very quickly what you really don't need and what mm-hmm. you need. Yeah. Um, and I've been much happier living a simpler life. And, you know, we, we have plans of building a house in a few years on some land that we purchased in Colorado. And, you know, we look forward to taking a break from traveling. But right now, I mean, it's it's fun. It's been productive. Um, we've had some great experiences. So we don't have any plans right now of stopping. And we love teaching workshops. But yeah, it was... There was some thought behind it, um, but it was also very out of character for me to take that leap. But it's yeah. a leap that I don't regret at all. Yeah, I have a, a similar story in that I also left a very you know secure, salaried with benefits job to do something. I didn't even know that it would be photography per se at the time. It was just a change that I needed to make, and uh, it was definitely it's definitely scary to to take yeah. that leap, but. <laughs> But knowing that, you know, I think life can be better than what it is right now and believing in that is really important. Yeah. I always tell, you know, I always try to tell people, you know, we weren't meant to work 
you know, the same job for like 40, 50 years and then retire because, you know, what you see is, you know, people retire at 60 or 70 and then, you know, physically health wise, a lot of them then can't do what they had planned on doing when they retire. Right. Um, so that's, you know, and obviously seeing what my mom went through, it really opened my eyes. And I said, you know, this is the time of my life where I am supposed to be experiencing these things because, you know, Lord only knows what could happen down the road. Right. Um, so yeah, just, you got to live each day to the best and, you know, take advantage of situations and don't be afraid to say yes. And yeah, it, it's yeah. scary, but it's been worth everything. Yeah, that's so great. So for for hobbyist photographers who are interested in possibly taking that leap and going more full time, do you have any words of advice now that you're sort of 2020 hindsight? Yeah, um, definitely. It, there's been so much that I've learned. Um, I would say, you know, definitely, you know, take your time thinking about it. Um, because, you know, even though I jumped right into it, I still had about six months where I had to really kind of think about it and, you know, make lists and pros and cons. Um, and just as long as you go into the realization of it that, you know, you're not going to make, you know, leaving a, a job where you're making money every day, it's going to be difficult. Um, you can, you know, you can definitely do it. But just, you know, I would definitely save up some kind of a nest egg if you're going to take that leap. Yeah. Um, you know, really think about it. Um, you know, health insurance was something that not to sound really boring here, but you know, health insurance was something else because all of a sudden, instead of you know having my own health insurance through work, you know, it was my responsibility to go, to go get health insurance, and that was right. quite a challenge. Um, so you know, just think about those things. Um, you know, there's a lot of I would I don't want to say a ton of travel involved because you can do quite well even just locally, and you mm -hmm. know, photographing somewhere that you really love that you know you feel at home at, but you know, the positives are, you know, you, you really get to get out there. Um, you're a lot more creative. I mean, mm -hmm. before I did this, you know, I was, you know, the weekend warrior type photographer, um, yeah. or I only depended on, you know, photographing when I was out on trips and being able to do this every day full time has just opened so many more doors to my creativity. I'm a lot more grounded. Um, I'm a lot more focused. So that's a major plus. Um, but yeah, don't, I mean, don't let yourself get down on how challenging it is. I mean, you know, most good things in life do present a challenge and they're so rewarding at the end. Yeah. Um, so anyone wanting to just, you know, start getting into this, you know, I would say network with people, you know, find someone that's been doing this for a while, get a mentor, ask as many questions as you can. Mm -hmm. um, don't be afraid to network with people. I mean, having a group of peers and support is one of the biggest things that's gotten me through the last few years especially when you surround yourself with others that maybe have done the same thing that were just hobby photographers and they've taken that leap yeah. because everyone is a wealth of knowledge and we all learn from each other and inspire each other. So definitely, you know, getting a network or, you know, even if it starts with like, you know, your members of your camera club or, you know, other people that you find online through a community. Um, but definitely networking with people, asking a lot of questions, um, and nothing says you have to dive into it full time right away. Um, I know right. a lot of people kind of dip their toes into the part time world. And, you know, sometimes that's fulfilling enough, and they kind of get that idea. And then, you know, eventually, when they get comfortable enough and planned enough, then they go full time, and they've been very successful. Yeah. Um, so despite the challenges, you know, it can be done. And you can definitely follow your passion, and your dream, it's just going to be a lot of hard work and time and money. Right. But it's, <laughs> 
but it's definitely worth it. I mean, you know, I joke that if I hadn't had my nest egg saved up and I did keep my license. So if I ever have to fall back on this and I think a good example is the pandemic last year, because a lot of us all of a sudden in the travel industry realized like, Oh God, like what am I going to do for a year, possibly two years, you know, who knows where this is going. And there was a time when I thought, I'm going to have to fall back on veterinary medicine, which was fine. I mean, I thankfully, I've, you know, I've had a lot of clinics that I work with, um, with my cats on the road yeah. that have welcomed me and they've just said, you know, we would hire you in a second. So I'm fortunate that I have a career that's always in demand, but yeah, you know, the thought of heading back into that and then not being able to travel if things open up and it was just, it was a very scary time. So that's, you know, something else to think about and, you know, there are other ways to make money, you know, through workshops, you know, teaching photography, webinars, you know, YouTube, um, there are so many different facets in this. So, you know, as a hobby photographer too, just explore different ideas, you know, you don't have to just sell prints, or you don't have to just have a gallery. Right. Um, There's so many different ways to monetize it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's some other good advice there. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to have something to fall back on because, you know, I want this to be the motivation, you know, why I'm doing this right. full time. But yeah, I think in boats. today's yeah. age, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think in today's age, and especially last year was a huge wake up call for a lot of us that it's it's not a downfall to have a backup plan or a plan B or, you know, to not burn bridges with your past career, um, for sure, because this is a very hard living. Um, yeah, yeah. Starving artist is a very true word. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so how did the pandemic affect uh, the business side? And how were you guys able to pivot to kind of keep things going? You know, we, we had a, a very stressful time in the beginning, as most of us did. Um, and it was really a lot of a mental game. Um, so we were in Death Valley. So we spend most of our winters in Death Valley teaching and we were getting little hints of, you know, coronavirus info. And we both kind of thought, oh, you know, it's maybe it'll be like swine flu. You know, you're going to hear a little bit about it. You know, some people are going to, you know, unfortunately get it. Um, we'll get it under control with science and, you know, things will be fine. And yeah. then about two weeks later, um, we were still in California. It was the end of February. I think it quickly became apparent that things aren't going to be fine. Yeah. Um, and we headed to the coast because that was kind of our vacation time after being in the desert. And I was going to work on some dolphin photography. And we were there and my dad called us from Denver. And he said, you know, he's like, states are talking about maybe shutting down borders. He's like, I don't know if you guys just want to come back here. So you have a place to be. Yeah. Um, and we were like, yeah, we'll keep an eye on things. And, you know, David, we were both like a little worried, but we weren't su- like super worried yet. And that morning, he actually ended up going to the grocery store and the shelves were empty. (laughs) And he came back to the trailer and he's like, you know, he's like, there might be something coming. He's like, there's no food at the grocery store. And I was like, seriously? So then we started taking it a little more seriously. And we actually made the decision that night to just head back to Colorado. Yeah. Um, And we were just fueled on adrenaline and fear. And we drove 26 hours straight through the night with the trailer. Oh, my word. Oh, my gosh. I go back home to Denver. And we arrived in Denver at 8 a.m. And, yeah, things started shutting down left and right. Um, A few days later, we really got the full picture with, you know, the national park shutting down and workshops becoming no more. Yeah. And we very quickly realized that we lost the entire year. And 
that was essentially we lost our entire salary for the year. Right. Um, so we had a day of mourning. Like I like to say, we were very stressed and anxiety written. There were tears, there were screaming, there was, you know, fear. Yeah. And then we pulled ourselves together about two days later and we said, okay, we can get through this. We just have to evolve a little bit. Um, but we can do this. You know, we've got our old jobs to fall back on if we have to, but let's, let's make this work as best we can. Yeah. Um, you know, we're safe, we're healthy. We have a home base right now. So let's just take advantage of this. Yeah. Um, and we did. And we collaborated with a bunch of other photographers like Sarah Marino, um, John or David worked with John Barkley and Cole Thompson on a webinar. And we all kind of came together and said, you know, what can we, you know, not only provide others, but you know, what can we do to kind of keep our own heads in this game and, you know, stay creative and stay motivated. So we started doing webinars. Um, we all quickly learned Zoom. And mm-hmm. you know, obviously, it's become such a big part of our lives now, which is crazy. And if you had asked yeah. me three years ago, um, you're going to be on YouTube, or you're going to, you know, do Zoom webinars and speak on camera and do these things, I would have said, Oh, gosh, no, like, I'm super <laughs> shy. Like, you know, despite being an extrovert in front of people, I'm very much an introvert behind the scenes. And yeah, I would just would have said, you're crazy. There's no way I'm going to do that. Right. Um, well, we did it. <laughs> and it, it, it was kind of nice because it pushed us all past our comfort zones. Um, and then it, it became really natural and really fun. So we pivoted to online teaching. We did some mentoring with um, some clients. Mm-hmm. Um, when things opened up a little bit more um, later in summer, we did a few private things around home um, with some clients very safely. That's good. Um, but yeah, we, we took the time. We've got a few eBooks now that are in the works, you know, because of the downtime last year. Um, it, it, despite being negative, it, it was a blessing because it, it you yeah. know, when we're on the road working all the time, we don't have time to, you know, formulate these things. So by being at home in one place for quite a while, we were able to come up with more ideas and implement some new things that we hadn't, we wouldn't been able to implement if things had gone on as status quo. Um, but it was really fun to watch the photography community come together, support each other, do all these webinars, do these online teaching things, um, yeah. you know, just kind of delve into a new way of, you know, landscape photography life. And it was very rewarding. And at the end of the summer, we were very happy, you know, that we had, we had this opportunity despite how awful, you know, the pandemic really was. Um, yeah. But we were able to get by. And we had a lot of support from our clients, you know, long existing clients, new clients um, out of Chicago was great. They were mm-hmm. kind of the ones in the beginning that got everyone together for, you know, the, the online conference. And that yeah. was amazing. Um, yeah, I think really that kind of pulled everyone together yeah. and made us all realize, you know, we all have each other. We're not alone in this. Um, this is fun. You know, yeah. it's through Zoom. We're still able to see each other, connect. Um, so we're really thankful for them. And that kind of was the springboard for the motivation to continue on in the summer with webinars and everything. Um, yeah. But yeah, we, we were very fortunate. Um, we didn't have to go back to our old jobs. Right. <laughs> um, we've kind of kept that momentum going. Um, like, um, you know, we're, we're still planning on doing a few webinars this year. Um, now that even though we're back to workshops, we just taught our first wa- workshop three weeks ago in Grand nice. Teton since the pandemic. So that was really fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it was, there was a, a definite silver lining to it as stressful and a, as anxiety ridden as we were in the beginning, you know, just by, like you said, pivoting and evolving. 
Um, and just finding new ways to do things opened a lot of doors and it was very rewarding in the end. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It's always good to hear that. <laughs> a good outcome yeah. of a bad situation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you always yeah. have to have hope and there's always a way. You just have to, you know, just think differently. Right, right. So can you, now that you're teaching workshops again, which is great, um, can you give the listeners a picture of sort of like what to expect at workshops if they were interested in attending, like what's your teaching style and, and yeah, how are definitely. they structured and that sort of thing? So David and I, we, um, we like to teach small groups. So usually it's usually a group of six. There are a few workshops that are mostly roadside workshops without a lot of hiking that we will do eight people on. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the most part, we just do groups of six. We find it, it's just a more personal experience. There's, you know, you know, one instructor for three people. Um, we're very hands-on. We're very, um, encouraging. We like to teach people to follow their creative vision, we're a little different. So we focus mostly on, you know, everything from grand landscapes to small scenes to abstracts. Mm -hmm. um, we encourage wandering. We encourage, you know, following flashes of perception. Um, so usually if I kind of take us through what one of our workshops, you know, we, we meet on the first night, we do a lot of presentations. Um, we get to know everybody. Everyone gets to know each other. We do a few group dinners and breakfasts and, you know, cause people do enjoy the camaraderie and mm -hmm. they're really fun. Um, you yeah. know, there's a lot of laughing, <laughs> right. lots of inside <laughs> jokes. Um, they're about five days long. Um, we don't do the typical thing where you line up people and say, shoot this at this setting. And this is the only shot here. We're very encouraging. Um, we practice, you know, slow photography, um, contemplative photography. We just, we like our clients to walk away with, you know, a lot of imagery. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the fun things at the end is we always do image critiques and just image sharing. And even though we've all been to the same location, everyone walks away from that location with a different image. Um, That's great. You know, based on what they saw in their vision, which is super rewarding. And it's so fun to see. And, you know, some of these locations, David and I can do in our sleep, and we've been there so many times, but we're continually surprised by what some people capture. Yeah. Um, so there's a good balance of teaching and hands-on and also a balance of just letting people kind of find their way um, at each location and, you know, follow what they want to see. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been told, you know, we, we do a good balance of that. Um, but yeah, we, you know, our whole mission is that, you know, you come to a workshop, you know, we're, we're not really a tour. We're definitely a workshop. We teach mm -hmm. things, um, you know, we in, invite learning, and a lot of people, you know, tell us that it's, you know, it's a very good mix. Um, yeah. And our main goal is to say, you know, we're not always going to be there. So we want to give you guys the tool so you can go out next time, you know, on your vacation, your next, you know, location. And you've got the tools to work with, you know, if you've got three days of blue skies, we teach, you know, things that you can do on those days with just blue skies instead yeah. of just staying in and, you know, complaining about it. Right. Um, working with different weather conditions, fog, you know, how to predict weather, um, how to scout locations. So we, our goal is to make everyone a well-rounded photographer and just yeah. give you a lot to walk away with that you can use in the field without, you know, worrying or being dependent and, you know, just making you more confident. Um, yeah. I think that's what we enjoy teaching yeah. the most. Yeah. And it sounds like it's not necessarily location specific either. Right. So like they can take these no. skills and apply them elsewhere too, which is great. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're in Duff Valley or your own backyard, you know, yeah, you can 
do the gamut of things. Right. Um, but yeah, we really enjoy teaching that kind of stuff. And yeah, yeah, we, we don't like lining people up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, we really encourage creativity and thoughtfulness and mindfulness. So yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about creativity and composition. So I've heard you say in webinars and in some of your writing that you enjoy finding the extraordinary and the ordinary. And I can definitely feel that when I study your images. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your approach or process for teasing out how to capture the extraordinary and the ordinary. So yeah, so a lot of that, that statement definitely applies to a lot of my natural abstracts. Yeah. Um, and smaller scenes, um, because they're, they're typically the scenes that can go unnoticed. Um, you know, uh, even if you've been photographing, you know, 20 years or just one year, you, you always get, you know, so amazed and sucked into those wider landscapes. You know, it's, it's just natural because, you know, nature is beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I, it took me a while, but I had an epiphany a few years ago of why I like natural abstracts. Um, cause my big thing is, you know, you, you should always be your own creative director. You should always be shooting what interests you, what makes you happy, um, you know, don't photograph for other people, don't photograph for social media, don't put that pressure on yourself. Um, you know, people will connect with your imagery more when you connect with it yourself. So mm -hmm. if you are really drawn to a certain subject, then that person's going to see it in your photography and really resonate with it. Um, so when I was in geology, and then when I worked in veterinary medicine, I found that I really enjoyed those smaller scenes through like microscopes. So in geology, we would study thin sections of rocks, which were these tiny little slides with all these different colorful minerals that we used to identify and what makes up that rock. And then in veterinary medicine, I was working on getting my board certification in clinical pathology. Mm -hmm. And I loved, you know, blood smears and cytologies and skin um, cytologies and anything that you could look at. And I was just fascinated by all these tiny little worlds that essentially live in animals and on us. And it clicked one day a few years ago in the field as I was, I think, photographing mud. And I said, you know, I think this is why I'm drawn to these tiny little things because I enjoyed it in my other two careers. So it, it carries on over into this. So it makes sense yeah. um, because we'll be walking down a trail and I am notorious for tripping on rocks because I'm literally most of the time looking down <laughs> um, at the ground <laughs> to see what I can see in the tinier details. Um, yeah. And David will be in front of me and he'll hear me like just trip on things. He's like, are you even watching where you're going? And it's like, well, no, I was looking at these you know, leaves over here or you know, right. something. Um, I'm not exactly the most graceful person in the field. Um, <laughs> me neither. So... I, I think that's why I'm drawn to that. So I, I like taking ordinary things. So I mean, anyone that's followed me for a while knows I'm obsessed with mud. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, photographing it, and you know, making it extraordinary, because these are the details that usually go unnoticed. But if you spend a lot of time looking, there's so many tiny little worlds out there that are just as grand as larger landscapes. And they tell their own stories. And that's yeah. what I enjoy doing. You know, I like finding those smaller stories within the grand landscape. Um, so something ordinary, like a puddle of ice um, with my macro lens, if I, you know, study it for a while and photograph it, there's so many little cool details in there. Um, we just got back from Yellowstone. We spent six weeks up there working on our book and all the pine trees were dispersing their pollen. And so the roadsides, like especially in the campground, were just littered with yellow pollen. Mm -hmm. And one afternoon we had a really bad rainstorm 
And I went outside the trailer just in the campground and happened, there was a giant puddle right outside our stairs. And I looked down and the pollen was swirling around in these different patterns. And, you know, I said, Oh my God, David, look at this. And he came on and he's like, Oh boy, he's like, I know what you're going to be doing now for the next three hours. <laughs> so I immediately ran and got my camera. I got my diffuser, my macro lens. I was literally out in the campground. Didn't care how I looked. I looked right. really goofy. In fact, I posted a picture to my stories and I was like, this is the glamorous life of a nature photographer. Like there I am in like my sweatshirt, my flip flops, my hair's a mess. I've got my diffuser and I'm like yeah. over this tiny little puddle like next to someone's campsite. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's, that's something ordinary that a lot of people would walk by. But by using my lens and my eye, I, I like to share those extraordinary scenes because they, they there's so much more. Um, and, you know, it doesn't have to be a natural abstract. It could be a smaller scene in the grand landscape, too. You know, like a little clump of trees catching the last light rays of day. You know, that's something ordinary. But when you photograph it and you really enjoy it, you make it extraordinary. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where that came from. And, you know, it, it can be mud. It could be leaves. It could be ice, like pollen in a puddle. Just things that, you know, ordinary folks might walk by and just not take the time to notice. That's what I enjoy sharing with the world that, yeah. you know, there is so much beauty in the details out there. And you, know, you don't have to be in Iceland, you don't have to be somewhere exotic, you can find these things in your backyard. Um, that's one of the things that kept me going through quarantine last year. Um, living here in Denver, we get a lot of snowstorms in the spring, things melt during the day, then they freeze at night. So there were countless puddles in my own driveway of ice that I went out and photographed and I made a you know photography project out of it. Nice. Um, but that kept my creativity and, you know, just kind of my mind sane during a very stressful time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. And again, it, the common theme in a lot of my work is just, you know, photograph what you're passionate about, follow what interests you. Yeah. You know, try not to get swayed by what's popular or what's trending, you know, just focus on you Yeah. Um, because that's what people will connect with. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good message. And I really, really like your abstracts. I can look at them all day long and oh, I do. You. Yeah. I find them so intriguing. And one of the ones I'm looking at right now on your website is called Coalesce. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. It's just so cool. Um, and because it's like, what is it? You know? And so what I like about your work is you have both. You have both the abstract work where it really gets your mind going. And then you have, you know, something that you you know what it is, but it's presented in this gorgeous way. And so I find that it's this intriguing mix of both the abstract and the tangible. And in episode four of the podcast, I talked a lot about photo editing and gave a little history on the topic and talked about the differences between pictorialism and straight photography. And I feel like you incorporate both of these qualities into your approaches. So if you're comfortable sharing, I was wondering how much uh, creative liberty do you take in post-processing your images and maybe talk a little bit about, you know, how you decide how to do that? How do you approach that? Yeah, so I'm a very, I'm a fairly simple person when it comes to post-processing, which surprises a lot of people. Um, a lot of my photography is knowing what light to work with what conditions produce the best results um, and waiting and, you know, finding those conditions. Um, I do like to process the way my eye saw it versus the camera. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a Nikon shooter. I love Nikon. I've only shot Nikon. Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, sometimes it shows up on the back of the LCD and the images can look a little muddy. 
mm-hmm. um, and quite not as exciting just because, you know, our, the cameras don't always pick up what our eyes see. Yeah. Um, David shoots with Fuji and like sometimes we focused on the same thing and I'll look over at his LCD and I'm like, holy crap, like, look at your colors. Like, right. I look back at my Nikon <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this doesn't look like his at all. Yeah. Um, I shoot with Nikon I, too, I know, so I, I get it. Yeah. So yeah. you can relate. Yeah. Um, but I know how to, you know, make that in post-processing just by using like one or two sliders in Lightroom to get it how my eye saw it. Yeah. And Nikon's live views and LCDs are getting much better as they go on. Um, but, you know, a lot of people can get frustrated with that in the field. You know, they'll shoot something. They're like, this is not what it looks like. And, you know, this is really frustrating. But, you know, post-processing is part of the process. And, you know, you just learn how to kind of tease out those colors and the tones that your eye saw. Yeah. Um, so my process is I'll take my image I try to get it as close to my eye in the field as possible. Um, I do expose a lot to the right a bit more just to keep a lot of the info and the detail. But there are times that certain lighting conditions that I know this will probably stress a lot of people out when I say this, but I will purposely under underexpose just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it comes with just my experience with my Nikons. Um, I find that I can underexpose just a tad um, to kind of get it close to what I see sometimes. And I know how to take care of that. So yeah. I'll bring my image into Lightroom. Um, and the main goal is just to, you know, present it as I saw it. I don't really take a lot of creativity or creative liberties. Um, I do about five minutes in Lightroom. I then will take the photo into Photoshop where I do apply um, a luminosity mask with the TK panel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just work with my midtone contrast um, I don't even touch the contrast slider in Lightroom. Um, I do it all in Photoshop and then I'll take out, you know, little imperfections or distractions. Um, and just because I like the clone healing in Photoshop so much nicer than yeah, Lightroom. It's so much better. Um, with my abstracts, this is about as creative liberty as I get. Um, I will sometimes warp my corners of my abstracts. Like if there's something distracting, something that I couldn't get out of my frame in the field especially and i'll just like warp a little corner up of it but that's about as far as i take it yeah and it's not because i'm a purist it's strictly because i am not a technical person at all (laughs) um i i can i mean i appreciate people that do composites and the really advanced photoshop stuff for night photography and landscapes with the really dramatic light like that's super impressive um it's just not in my wheelhouse. Like I just, I can't sit there for two hours and work on an image. I like to kind of be one and done. Yeah. Um, And especially with our lifestyle, you know, we're, we're on the road constantly shooting. I've got a backlog right now of about 8,000 images. Wow. And I just, a lot of it is, I just don't have the time. Yeah. Um, And I just like to keep it simple. Um, Just frankly, because I'm not technical. Um, Occasionally on a rare occasion, if I've done night shooting, um, you know, sometimes I'll blend exposures, like I'll take one for my foreground at twilight and then take one of the Milky Way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm going to admit it like, yes, David will have to help me with that sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> There's no shame. I'm just, he's really good at that stuff. Um, not saying that he does it a lot, but he's much more proficient at it. So occasionally he does have to help me. Yeah. So it's a rare, rare occasion when I do that. But yeah, I'd say I'm in and out of Lightroom and Photoshop in probably under 10 minutes with each image. That's amazing. And yeah, I, that's I just good. like to keep it as close to my eye um, and try to, you know, replicate the colors I saw with my eye. But I'm not doing anything too extreme. Yeah. And again, it's I don't, you know, condemn anyone that does that. We, you know, it's art. We all right. have our own visions. And yeah, it's supposed yeah. to be what makes you happy. And I don't think anyone should be judging anyone for what they do with their photos or right. art or if you want to do composites, hey, you go for it. I 
just, yeah. you know, I respect that you do a lot more technical stuff than I can ever do. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that just because, um, you know, some sometimes people, I think, can can make assumptions around uh, abstract work that it's, um, you know, been manipulated in some way to make it look more painterly or whatever. And you can still achieve that effect without a lot of uh, oh, processing manipulating going on. Uh, and Lightroom is so. a super powerful tool. Um, I don't, I mean, it's getting much better with each update, especially, but, you know, I think there's also a stigma. It seems to be where like, you know, people, you know, they're just, I, I get that you don't. Some people don't want to do a lot of post processing, but Lightroom nowadays makes it so easy. Just with a yeah. few sliders, you can take an image from you know, oh wow, to oh wow, yeah. Um, and it's it's getting a lot user, a lot more user friendly and easy to use. Um, and you know, I had someone reach out to me after my last Camera Club presentation. They said, you know, your abstracts are so clean. You know, how do you you know take the time to find somewhere where there's no sticks or stones or leaves or you know debris. Um, especially like sand dune images. And I said, I'm not going to lie. Like I do like the stamp or the clone removal tool um, or the cloning yeah. tool. You know, yeah. I, I don't mind taking out, you know, if there's a stick in the corner or, you know, there's a little bush over here that's driving me crazy. Um, I will do that. Yeah. Um, just because it is distracting. And you, you, there are times you just can't eliminate all of that stuff in the field, especially with macro photography. You usually just have this one little space to work with. It takes you a while to find a pleasing alignment of patterns, colors, textures, and, you know, I'm not going to like walk away from it because there's a rock or a stick somewhere where, you know, it's distracting. Right. Um, so I do remove a lot of that stuff. You know, I, I try to find as clean of a patch of something as I can, but I have no problem taking out trash or sticks or rocks or anything to yeah. make it just a little more pleasing and less distracting yeah so, okay. yeah, makes sense. so warping my corners and taking out like a rock or a stick so that's about right, as right. extreme as i get yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm a rebel when it comes to that i guess <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit about expressive photography so um i think this is a phrase that can be used to describe either expressing oneself through their compositions or it could be used to describe sort of telling visual stories about the landscape so one interpretation comes from within, whereas the other one is more directed by the landscape. So for those folks who are, you know, sort of think, think that this phrase expressive photography feels a little abstract, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what it is from your perspective and what does it mean to you and your work? Yes. Um, so expressive photography is something that I really enjoy practicing. Um, I'm a very emotional person. And I've always been like that. Even as a kid, I was like super emotional and I get very, you know, connected and attached to things. Um, you know, music makes me cry sometimes, you know, I'm very in tune and, you know, obviously I, I have an extreme passion for nature. So I am very expressive and emotional, especially when I'm out shooting. Um, but expressive photography is simply, you know, you can either use your own emotions in your work or you can, you know, take emotions from the landscape you know, whether it's certain lighting conditions that are making you feel some way, maybe you head out to shoot and you're already in a mood and you connect with different subjects. Like if you're feeling a little sad or depressed, um, maybe you shoot more dramatic lighting conditions. I know that I do. I, I My emotions usually fuel what I'm shooting um, just because I'm a very expressive person to begin with. Um, mm -hmm. I'm very empathetic. And you can usually tell how I'm feeling sometimes depending or 
Yeah. Like depending on what I'm posting on social media, like if I have more dark, dramatic, moody images, maybe I'm going through a little bit of like a depressive state or, you know, I'm just a little more filled with angst, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, happier images, brighter images, more painterly. I'm very calm and happy. Um, But one thing about this, you know, when we teach about this in our workshops, you know, it can be a little left field, especially for people that aren't used to photographing their emotions. But, you know, a lot of us, aren't comfortable sharing our emotions with words. Um, yeah. You know, maybe whether, whether it's with other people or writing something online, but we find that they kind of pour out in our imagery. Um, and that's kind of how I am. So um, for example, like my um, black and white dolphin project, um, I know if anyone's listening, they're probably, they've heard me talk about this a thousand times, but um, so I processed that in honor of my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can read about this on my website. I won't go into like the whole story, but I processed those in black and white for a reason. Um, so when I was, you know, I mean, you're always going through the grieving process, but especially then it was still fresh and deep. Um, and I, I chose black and white because I felt that it represented the gamut of the grieving process. So mm-hmm. when you're grieving the loss of somebody, um, you know, you've got those really dark days where you feel like you're in a hole you know, it's hopeless. Um, you're just so, you know, angry, um, sad. And I felt, you know, those are the blacker tones. Then you go to the other, um, side of the spectrum with your whiter tones where you do have those days where you're at peace with it. You're a little more hopeful. Um, you're healing and that kind of thing. And then you've got all the gray tones in between, which represent the ups and downs and the highs and the lows of how grief, you know, hits you at certain times. Yeah. So I thought that black and white was an excellent way to portray that. Yeah. Um, because it was already an emotional subject for me. So that's, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, why black and white? And, you know, that's, that's why I chose that because I felt it represented kind of everything that I was going through emotionally. Yeah. Um, and, t- and that's a form of expressive photography. It doesn't have to be what you're shooting. It can also be the way you're post-processing. You know, maybe yeah. you're trying to direct people to the feeling that you were feeling. Um, you can use composition. Um, there are a lot of times that I'll find that I'm isolating small trees or bushes um, with really dramatic light um, that, you know, maybe represents what I was feeling at that time. You know, whether it was just, you know, I was, you know, a little more sad or feeling lonely or just going through a little time of, you know, similar feelings. Um, so things like that. So like I'll isolate, you know, like I said, a tree or maybe a leaf on some sandstone and kind of put my emotions into that. And I like to tell stories with my photos. So I will use text to accompany those things just Mm -hmm. to really help guide the viewer to what I was feeling because, you know, sometimes they don't always understand that from looking at the photo and that's where words can be really powerful and they can really tie those two together. Um, so that's just really what I enjoy using or doing. Um, But yeah, expressive photography can be so many things. You know, you can, like I said, you can do it in post-processing to really guide your feelings to the viewer, um, shoot how you're feeling in the field. Um, But yeah, I think photography is a therapeutic medium for most of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's just a good way to, you know, even work through creative walls or, you know, even when you're not just feeling the best with the world, you know, heading out with your camera, you can... You know, it's kind of like sitting in a psychologist's office. Right. (laughs) Sometimes using your camera is just that outpouring of, you know, relief that you kind of need. And I know other photographers that, you know, we've experienced, you know, death of, you know, parents recently in the last few years. And I think we've all turned to our cameras a little bit to document and express how that made us feel, even though we're photographing the landscape. Right. 
Yeah, thank you for describing that. I think it also is interesting to think about how uh, the viewer feels then in viewing those types of images too. And like, are they sharing in that emotional experience or are they putting their own interpretations to it? Uh, yeah. So like one example I have is I have a, a picture of a farmhouse, you know, it's like in the hills of Vermont and it's just this very isolated farmhouse and amongst all the like snowy trees. And to me, that represented um, a connection to a simpler life, living off the land, solitude, or but in a positive way, you know, self-sufficiency, that kind of thing. And I've had other people view it as uh, isolation, loneliness, like on awful situations they would never want to find themselves in, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> which is kind of funny, you know, and how how uh, our intent in taking an image or how in, our intent in creating or expressing ourselves through the image can be still viewed or perceived differently from other people, no matter how well we try to compose it to relay that information. Oh, definitely. It's all subjective. Um, and that's one of the, the beautiful things about this craft that we do. Um, half of the fun is just hearing other people's interpretations of our images. Um, you know, I love, especially with my abstracts, you know, on Instagram, um, I love that organic engagement, you know, where people say, oh, my gosh, I think this looks like, you know, dragon scales or someone will say, oh, my gosh, this reminds me of brownies or, yeah. you know, I, I love hearing that because even though I saw it one way and I'm presenting it one way, it's just fascinating to hear how other people interpret things. Yeah. And again, it all ties back to when you connect with the subjects you're shooting so will other people. Um, so my dolphin project, you know, people have emailed me and talked to me at conferences. They, they really connect with that. And, you know, some people say those images got them through a difficult time or it reminded them of the loss of a parent and they could really relate with the grieving process and, you know, the black and the white, um, other little scenes with, you know, like I said, my trees or when I'm isolating subjects, you know, kind of the same thing, like you said, some people will say, will completely surprise me and say, Oh, my gosh, this makes me feel so joyful. And then other people will say, Oh, my gosh, this that tree, I can relate to that tree. I felt like that tree a few weeks ago, you know, just alone and forsaken and right. forgotten about. So it's funny to hear like, the gamut of emotions that people can get. But yeah, that's, you know, that's half the fun. We, we try our best as the artist to, you know, portray what we were feeling, but everyone's going to view your image and feel something different. Right. And hearing them get getting them talking about the image and hearing the feedback is one of the most rewarding things about this. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I love and love hearing everyone's interpretations. Right. And one other little note, I think it's easy for people, you know, especially starting out to get so wrapped up in composition. You know, composition is important. It, it definitely drives, you know, our imagery. And it helps tell stories and it helps lead the, you know, the viewer's eye to where you want it to lead. But there are right. some instances where, you know, for example, in Yellowstone, we were just out there um, putting together images for our upcoming book. And there was one night that there was a scene unfolding in Hayden Valley with a river um, that was pretty still. So it had a wonderful reflection. There was a clearing storm and this giant rainbow. And we rushed out of our car and, you know, we, we captured it. And David's like, this is pretty. He's like, but there's no composition. <laughs> He's like, the rainbow's <laughs> reflecting on the river. He's like, it's pretty, but there's really nothing. You know, there's no composition. And I'm like, who cares? Like, right. in a scene like this, the subject is just the clearing storm and the rainbow. Like, 
don't get so wrapped up in, you know, this has to be, you know, technically perfect. And right, you know, that right. dives into the whole rules thing, which they're great fundamentals to know, but I'm a big proponent of breaking those rules and don't let them, you know, rule your photography, you know. Right, but, right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and sometimes we even ourselves just have to take a step back. And even though I use David in that example, there have been times I've been out shooting and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is gorgeous. But oh my God, like, I don't really have a composition, but I just have to take that step back. And sometimes the light is the story. Yeah, Um, the clearing storm is the story. And I think, you know, it's, it can be easy to miss that sometimes. And, you know, I I never want to add that pressure to myself, because that kills creativity. Um, But yeah, so that's a little tangent just on composition. But um, Yeah. yeah, you know, sometimes scene just tells the story, and you don't always have to have the perfect compositional elements in there. It doesn't mean because you can have a perfectly technical photograph and it's not interesting. And then you can have a photograph that's not technically perfect and it's super interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. And then there's like the third possibility where maybe just enjoy the rainbow and Mm -hmm. forget the, forget the image altogether. Just take the time to enjoy that moment. I mean, we get so wrapped up into, we have our cameras. We absolutely have to document everything that we see. And there are nights I just, even with a camera in hand, I will just sit back watch the scene unfolding, the sunset, um, an animal, just something. And, you know, we just have to take in that moment, you know, because we miss those things sometimes when we're shooting and right. Yeah. Cause you're just still about the experience. Right. Yeah. Cause our, our vision can get so narrow into the viewfinder that we forget that we're actually experiencing this whole thing. And that's why we're even here in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why it's healthy to head out and enjoy nature without a camera sometimes. I yeah. mean, we, we take breaks from that. And a lot of people joke, well, that's when, you know, of course, everything's going to happen. You're going to see that unicorn and that rainbow. But <laughs> so what? So maybe it does. But right. there are just times it's nice to just get back to our roots. Remember why we got into this craft in the first place. And that's to enjoy nature. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah. I find that sometimes I can help get out of like if you're like in a rut or whatever with your oh, photography to definitely. like leave it at home and then go out and yes. enjoy nature. And then if you feel like you're itching because you don't have your camera, that's like a good sign that like, okay, yes. you're starting to see things again. You know, you're not yes. totally burnt out, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Keeping that mental connection with nature, even when you are sick of photography, you're burned out, but you got to keep that conversation with nature going. Um, yeah. Just keep that relationship. And that, like you said, that's helped me get out of many creative walls because doing this full time you definitely run into that. I mean, yeah. it's not, I mean, it's a glamorous lifestyle. Like, you know, social media wants you to believe, but there are times when you're just done, you're just yeah. burned out. You don't have any creative juices left and you just got to take a break and walk away. Yeah. Um, that happened to me in California. There was a month where I just said, I'm done. Like, I don't know that I want to do this anymore. I feel like I've given it all I can. I don't have any creativity left. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I said, I'm just going to leave it at home. I'm just going to go out, hike, enjoy nature, get out, be a tourist, like I like to say, you know, right, see yeah. things from like a different perspective. <laughs> yeah. Um, and sure enough, like we were walking down the beach one night, just enjoying the ocean and the waves. And I saw these really awesome sand patterns. And it got me excited. And all of a sudden, I'm like, where's my camera? I'm like, right. oh, it's at home. And all of a sudden, like I felt that spark that I hadn't felt in like six weeks. Wow. And yeah. I rushed back the next day, hoping that the same patterns would be there. And they were. And that nice. snapped me out of that particular lull. But yeah, definitely keeping that mental connection with nature going is really important. Yeah. yeah. And just healthy. 
You know, yeah. it's, it's not healthy to always be photographing and have your camera every single second. You're going to, that's the quickest recipe for a burnout, you know, just yeah. literally, you know, take some time, smell the flowers, enjoy the moment. Yeah, totally. Well, that's a good segue into the slow photography movement. So I understand you're a staff contributor for the mm-hmm. slow photography movement. And you were recently part of a panel discussion on the F-Stop Collaborate and Listen podcast, all about yes. this topic. So we don't need to dive into <laughs> a lot of details here. Uh, so I recommend listeners check out that conversation if they want to learn more. But I was just curious if you could talk about what are the goals of the slow photography movement and how do you incorporate that aspects of that into your work? Yes. Um, so the slow photography movement, I think it's about three years ago now, um, is the brainchild of Ernesto Ruiz. Um, he reached out to me, like I said, about three years ago um, over Instagram. And I got this direct message. I can remember exactly what I was doing. I was in La Jolla in California. We had just finished dinner and I got this really interesting message. And he said, Hey, you know, I've been following you for a while. I've come up with this idea, um, you know, of practicing, you know, slow photography and how this could be something kind of new to introduce to the photography community and a different way of thinking when you're out with your camera. And I was wondering if, you know, you'd like to be a part of it, but just because looking at your feed, it looks like, you know, you, you kind of practice this a little yourself. And I was really excited. And I, you know, responded right back. And I said, of course, you know, what do you have in mind? And that's when he shared that he had put together this website. And then we brought um, Beth Young on board. And it's been the three of us for a few years. And so we've written some articles, just sharing our experiences on the landscape. So slow photography is about slowing down and building that connection with the landscape and subjects around you. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's about quality over quantity, um, just really personal connection, following your creative vision, um, you know, following and photographing what interests you. And yeah, and slow photography is not a new concept. It's been around for quite a while. So it started back, um, I think there was a Norwegian photographer that really kind of brought it to light. But the concept of slowing down, um, there was a McDonald's being built in Italy in the 1980s, I think in Rome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people were furious. And anyone that knows the Italian culture, um, you know, knows that, you know, home cooked meals, family time, sitting around, you know, slowing down, taking time to really enjoy the food, um, savoring the moments is really important. So when yeah. this McDonald's was being built, a lot of people were very angry because, you know, it's fast food. Right. This doesn't, you know, go along with that way of life. So protests broke out. And after that, this slow movement kind of came of that. Um, and it's, you know, used anywhere from education to gardening to aging, um, you know, so many different things. And it finally trickled down into the arts. And, you know, that's kind of where this concept of like slow photography came. Um, and if you take a look at the world we live in now, you know, it's all about instantaneous gratification. You know, I mean, Netflix and DoorDash and, you know, anything we want, Amazon brings in like a day. Right. <laughs> um, we've gotten used to just that instantaneous and, you know, life is such a fast paced thing. Um, but taking the time to, you know, apply that to our photography you know, it just really helps you literally slow down in the field, build deeper connections with the subjects that you're shooting, and really add more of a personal connection and a personal touch to your imagery. Um, and so we we over on the website, you know, we've written some articles about our own experiences. We've had guest contributors write about their stuff. We've got an Instagram channel where, you know, it's we feature the work of, you know, others that are kind of following the same method. And, you know, it's not an elitist way of thinking. It's not like this is the end all be all. 
um, a common misconception is that, you know, just because a lot of our images when we're talking about slow photography are like, the you know, intentional camera movement or abstracts or smaller scenes, but it can definitely be larger scenes, grand scenes. Um, it can be a planned shoot. Um, that can be a method of slow photography. Mm-hmm. It can really be anything. Um, but the main point is it, it just encourages a more personal connection, a slower way of thinking and fo- like photographing. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's it's been a fun thing to be a part of. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it really resonates with me and, and how I approach my photography, too. So when I learned about it, I was really excited to to dive into the website. So I definitely encourage people to check it out. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. yeah, please. Um, and we also run some, um, I think we do it four times a year. Um, these like little, we call them like monthly or not monthly, but we just say challenges. Um, so it's over on Instagram. So we'll say use this hashtag. Um, for right now, like we just, we're wrapping up our SPM, um, close to home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what have you been photographing around home? Um, and you know, people will write, you know, why they shot what they did. They'll tag it. And we've got a gallery section on our website. So like quarterly, we pick some images and we'll present them in our gallery. Nice. Um, and just kind of, sh- you know, share with people and, you know, the things people are shooting are just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, so much inspiration, so much creativity, and it's just fun to see, but, um, to wrap up that it's just, you know, it's, it's a really inclusive community of like-minded photographers where we can all kind of get together, collaborate, share what inspires us. You know, there's no competition, there's no, no drama. Um, it's just, it's a good place to just really kind of be open and share what you're photographing without pressure and, you know, judgment. Um, and it's been really fun to see, and it's kind of been a breath of fresh air, um, especially just the way photography has kind of been the last few years with the, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to say this, but you know, it's just a different way of thinking. So it's been refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, I'll definitely put links in the show notes to that. Excellent. Yeah. So back to a little bit about the abstracts. I know you you loved shooting uh, textures and patterns as uh, compositional subjects. And I also like to photograph those things. I'm naturally drawn to them, but I also feel like I still struggle to capture them in some sort of meaningful way. And so you know, when I'm looking for those patterns and whatnot, I still feel like I end up with something that looks rather chaotic or overly repetitious. And so I'm curious, when you're looking for these types of compositions, what are, is there anything that you're looking for to create harmony or form or structure in those when you're trying to make like order out of chaos? Yes, that's an excellent point. It can be so hard. Um, And, you know, this is something I teach on my workshops and, you know, it, it takes a while to kind of fine tune your eye. And it's something I still struggle with. I mean, I'm human. You know, I'm still learning along this journey, too. You're never completely done learning. Yeah. Um, but it can be hard. I mean, I've walked away from some really cool abstracts because I just can't get it to work. Um, you know, I, I can't find a pleasing pattern or a pleasing series of, like, layers or repetitions or maybe the color is a little odd or the tone or whatever the light is doing just isn't working at the time. Um, but it can be hard. It it requires a lot of patience because um, like you said, a lot of them are very chaotic, you know, especially yeah. for I'll use the example in Death Valley, you find these like mud patterns, you know, it, it's you and this giant sea of just chaos. Yeah. And you know, how do you even start to find what you want to zero in on? And it takes time. So I'll just, you know, sit there and kind of scan around with my eyes. I'll even put my camera and tripod down, leave it behind. Um, 
this surprises a lot of people, but I'll actually take out my smartphone mm-hmm. and I'll actually kind of take that. And if I see something kind of pleasing, I'll line it up on the smartphone. Like I'm taking a picture yeah. and that really helps me. Um, but yeah, the first step is just finding, you know, first of all, you know, what drew you to this in the first place? You know, was it the colors? Was it the patterns? Was it the texture? Was it whatever the light's doing right now? Um, and figuring out, you know, what are you trying to say with this photo? What are you, you know, why are you photographing that? I think that's a very important question to ask anytime we head out with a camera. Yeah. Um, because it really makes you slow down and also think, um, you know, why are you taking this? If your answer is just, oh, well, I need to shoot something and, you know, it's getting late and I need to head home with something, then that's generally not a good answer. Um, because you want, you want a reason for why you're photographing. Yeah. Um, so I will just find, you know, just to try to find pleasing patterns, you know, pleasing lines, you know, how can I represent this to the viewer? You know, what do I want them to see in this? Do I want to focus on the colors? Do I want to focus on the textures? Am I trying to tell the story of, you know, how this mud formed or mm. why these salt crystals are the way they are? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe the little tiny crystals are catching the last little bit of light. Maybe it's a combination of warm highlights and cool shadows that are telling the story. Um, but it can be very challenging. Yeah. And sometimes it's just because I think it looks cool. And I'll try to find some composition. But again, I won't always get super hung up on that. Yeah. Um, Because if you're going to look for that perfect patch of mud or ice, you're going to be looking forever. Yeah. Um, Because there are no perfect patterns. Um, It's just all subjective. You know, what do you want to show? And yeah, that that can be very challenging. And, you know, when we present those situations in our workshops, you know, we we do it on purpose because, you know, we do like to challenge people. We do like to get them thinking. Um, And sometimes, you know, experimenting, you know, you come away with something that you had no idea that you would ever like photographing. But hey, you just experimented. You got this. It's really cool. It makes you happy. So there you go. Um, But yeah, for those abstracts, it's just about telling the story. You know, what drew your eye to that? What are you trying to portray? Mm -hmm. and, you know, what's the subject? You know, is it the patterns? Is it the colors? Is it the tones? You know, what what is interesting to you? Yeah. And, you know, not getting so hung up on perfection. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, and just shooting it. And there are times that I've photographed it. I've gotten it into Lightroom and I go, hmm, why mm. did I? I thought I knew why I was taking this, but now it's not really like speaking to me. Yeah. Um, or the opposite happens. I shoot something just because I see it and I think, oh, this could possibly be cool, you know, and I'll shoot it and I'll get it in the Lightroom. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is the image of the night. Like, this is amazing. Like, you yeah. know, why didn't I see this in the field? Um, and I know that happens to a lot of us. We get into Lightroom and we're like, oh, look at this. Like, <laughs> happy surprises or happy accidents. Like, yes, exactly. Um, Bob Ross likes to say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I just think, you know, again, just, you know, finding what speaks to you, you know, what is it about this abstract that you like and just trying to showcase that in the best way. Yeah. And are, so are you mostly for those types of shots shooting straight down? I am. And, and yeah. how do you, how are, do you have like uh, a way of how would you view straight down without like stepping on your composition to compose oh, it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it surprises a lot of people. I think they automatically think that it's um, done with a macro lens and while I do enjoy shooting with my macro lens, a lot of these abstracts are either done with my telephoto or sometimes, especially the mud, it's done with my wide angle hmm. and I just have it off the ground, you know, like two or three feet. Um, the goal, especially with these abstracts and to avoid frustration is you want to be parallel, your lens parallel to the ground, mm-hmm. shooting straight down 
generally you don't have to focus stack. Um, the exception is if you have an, you know, a subject that has a little bit of relief or terrain. So if you've got curling mud, um, you know, some jagged rocks that you're trying to work with, um, you, you might need to focus stack a bit. Um, so in that case, you know, you do have to worry about focus stacking. Um, if you're not parallel to the ground, a good rule is you probably have to focus stack a little bit because if you're shooting on an angle, that's when you're getting that, you know, those different perspectives and you just need to really make sure that you hit every point that you need. It can be super frustrating. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I like to keep things simple. I hate focus stacking. Um, <laughs> so again, I'm not a super technical person. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get bogged down by that stuff. But yeah, just shooting straight down um, with my macro lens. I think it's, uh, with any lens, it's important to know kind of where your sweet spot is. Every lens has one. Yeah. Um, my wide angle, it's about f8, f10. My macro lens, I find things are super sharp and I can usually get them in one frame if I'm shooting straight down with F22 or F25. Mm-hmm. Um, Without and diffraction and all that. With, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, so yeah, just taking time to experiment um, and just learning kind of where your lens is the sharpest. Um, yeah. Because it'll be different for each lens, each camera system. Um, and I have, you know, I've taken plenty of test shots just even of the brick wall of the house just trying to figure out you know where is it the sharpest so yeah you know knowing your equipment being comfortable with your equipment is number one um i don't care if you're nikon sony fuji canon whatever yeah um you know the best camera is the one that you're comfortable using yeah and you know you're familiar with yeah um so yeah getting to know your lens and just playing around and you know different focal lengths create different things um you know, the telephoto lens, it just depends on how uh, like off the ground I am. Sometimes I'll raise my tripod up to the highest level so I can use my telephoto lens. Other times I'm right on the ground breaking my back with my macro lens. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, sometimes it's just the wide angle lens. Um, but yeah, all three lenses can create wonderful little abstracts. It's not just macro lenses. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. And then sometimes using a diffuser helps as well, depending yeah. on the subject. Yeah, yeah. I recently got one that's like, 12 inches across. It's really tiny, um, yeah. but it's so easy to pack. And so, you know, it's oh, just, yeah. why not have it with you all the time, just in case, you it's, know, yeah. it's a total game changer. And, you know, I, I wasn't too familiar with them until, until about a few years ago. Um, and actually recently my ridiculous picture where I'm photographing the pollen puddles in the campground, <laughs> you know, I mean, the diffuser completely helped because they were, my tripod was throwing shadows and even though it was cloudy oh, right. yeah um you were still getting reflections so the diffuser really helped with that um yeah. you know plant photography diffusers are definitely a must because you just get that dreamier light um you know because the diffuser acts like a cloud so you're getting that nice like soft box kind of glow effect yeah yeah um, but yeah i'm finding myself reaching for my diffuser like more and more and you know they make them so easy to travel with now i mean like right. you said it's nothing to throw one in your bag and just have it yeah yeah for sure so i know we talked a little bit already about your dolphin project my understanding is that that was sort of one of your first photography projects that sort of became a project, even though that may not have been the way you intended it to be. But I understand you do projects now sort of as a result of that. And so can you talk a little bit about what inspires you to do a project? How do you come up with ideas? And yeah, how do you know when it's sort of ready to share with the world? So I was introduced to the idea of um, projects a few years ago from a friend that had worked with um, Lenswork. So mm-hmm. Lenswork um, is a wonderful magazine, wonderful publication. It's my favorite photography um, 
periodical to read. Um, and they introduced the idea with their seeing in sixes project. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they took a, they made a book in 2016 of 56 image projects. And the point was, you know, sometimes, you know, it's not always about your greatest hits as Brooks Jensen likes to say, but you know, it's more of a project that, you know, you need a few images to tell the complete story. Um, and six seems, you know, like a good number to use. And he told me about this um, when we were out photographing and he's like, yeah, I think this is something that, you know, you would enjoy. And it's really gotten me thinking differently in the field. Um, and I, I fell in love. And so I didn't do it 2016. Um, and then 2017 rolled around and I really wasn't thinking about it. And that's when the dolphin project came. And, you know, I, I didn't go out with any intentions or expectations. You know, we just happened to be on a whale watching tour and we found dolphins and the ocean was glassy. And I took a few images for myself. Um, it was literally like two weeks after my mom had died. So I was just enjoying the dolphins because it was something she enjoyed too. And I got them home and that's when I started processing them. And I thought these would make a nice little project. And I told David, I said, I think this is my personal project I'm going to work on. Yeah. And I had no intentions of releasing them to the world um, at all. I just said, this is a personal project. It's just for myself to enjoy and kind of work my way through the healing process. Yeah. And a few months later, you know, David said, I think you should submit these to that seeing in sixes that, you know, you know, our friend told us about. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think they're for the world. They were just for my eyes or, you know, my eyes only. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, challenge yourself, you know, start saying yes to things. Yeah. So I did put it out there and, you know, David and I talked about it and I said, you know, maybe this will help other people, you know, resonate too. And honestly, when I submitted it to lens work, um, I didn't, I had a little written piece about it, but I didn't mention anything about the morning process with my mom that kind of evolved. Yeah. You know, I wasn't ready to share that yet. So I just put together a little written piece about, you know, being with the dolphins that morning and, you know, seeing into their world because the ocean was calm. Um, and I submitted it and it was chosen for publication in 2017 in their nice. book. So yeah. I was super happy. It was exciting. Yeah. Um, and that really was the, the spark. And I fell in love with photo projects. All of a sudden I had a new way of seeing photography yeah. and the landscape around me. And I, you know, I already like to tell stories with my photos, but this was just a whole nother facet of something to dive into where I could also include written text to really help tell the story. And there are certain you know, situations where one photo just isn't quite enough. Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden I started seeing projects everywhere. Um, even not only just like in the field, but also kind of back on my hard drive, you know, a few years back, you know, I thought, oh, this would make a cool little project. And I just went, you know, gung ho. Um, and so the following two years I submitted and I also got published. Nice. So I was very fortunate to be involved in three out of the four books. And it's something that's just stayed with me. Um, photography projects keep me motivated. Um, I almost feel a little anxious if I don't have one. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, before Yellowstone, I was telling David, I said, man, I just don't have a project. Like I just, I haven't been seeing things, you know, I just haven't really been finding stuff. And, you know, yeah, I remember he told me, he's like, well, you know, like you say, it's got to be organic. It'll just sometimes come to you. And boom, we had that rainstorm and that pollen and I right. was just off yeah. you know, for two days. I was, you know, like, oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. This would make a nice project. So that's my newest project. Nice. I hope to have that up on my website here soon. But you know, they're just a way of working different parts of your, you know, creative brain. Yeah. Um, because, you know, as photographers, we do get sucked into, you know, here's the one greatest hits image from the trip or, you know, the night or this magical sunset or, 
you know, and it, it's just, it's a different way of thinking to tell a story. Yeah. Um, it's a way to slow down. Um, I talk about it in my slow photography talks and it, it could be anything, you know, it could be a tree that you want to document in the different seasons in your neighborhood. Um, it could be a hobby maybe that you do outside of photography that you want to document. Mm. Um, a lot of people ask, you know, what comes first, you know, like, or, you know, how, how do you get this inspiration for a project? Like do you go out in the field knowing you're going to make one or does it happen organically? Um, and I would say it's almost 50, 50. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I'm a big proponent of not putting pressure on myself to get things. So I, I, I know it can be a little dangerous to head out going, I'm looking for a project today. Um, but a lot of times it just organically happens. So I'll see either a tree or I'll see this pollen and I realize that, you know, maybe one photo can't tell the whole story. So I want to make a little collection of photos. And even though six was the number that seeing in sixes worked with, I mean, a project can be three images, it could be 12 images, they can be something that are, you know, that have an endpoint, or they can be something that you continually add to. So my dolphins started out as a six image project, but now every winter I add to that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I have like 20 some images now. Um, so they don't have to be, you know, you don't have to end them. Right. Um, and, you know, they don't have to be all the same subject. Um, I have one project that I've put together that's just the color blue. So it's hmm. mud tiles in the twilight in the evening that I shot in Death Valley. There's some blue ice. There's some blue salt crystals. Um, you know, they can have themes. Right. Um, or they can just be a progressive story. Um, but it doesn't have to be the same thing. It can just be a grouping of something. Um but I just, they're a real, they're a different way of thinking creatively or creatively. And they've opened up so many doors for me. And I just get so much, you know, pleasure out of, you know, building those projects yeah. and completing them or adding to them in the future. And, you know, I'm a storyteller. I just love sharing stories with my photos. And this is just one way of doing it. But, you know, it, it's just one good way of, you know, working your photographer brain yeah. and doing something a little bit different and challenging yourself. Um, and you know, you might see a group of images on your hard drive from years ago that you're like, Oh, this would actually make a nice project or the idea comes to you in the field, or it starts with like a, an emotion or something that you want to tell. And then you find things out in the landscape that kind of help tell that. So, I mean, the, right. the sky is the limit with projects. Um, and it's so fun because usually my camera club presentations, you know, I do a bit on this and then I'll have people share their projects with me and it's, it's just so fun. Yeah. And there's so much inspiration. And if, you know, if projects are something you want to get into, I encourage you to pick up those seeing and sixes books. Yeah. Um, you know, it's everything from architectural photography to portraits, to people, to, you know, plants, to abstracts, to night photography. I mean, it can be anything, um, but there's so much inspiration in those books and, you know, I'm not biased because I was published in them. I mean, I, I still study them all the time because they're so inspiring. Yeah. Um, but you know, I encourage everyone to work on a photo project, um, and just, you know, challenge yourself and share those stories and, yeah. you know, just do something a little different because, you know, we can become stagnant in our work and we're always looking for those outlets to kind of enhance and, you know, produce more creative things. And that's a great way to do it. Yeah. But yeah, they're definitely a passion of mine. Yeah. I love sharing them yeah. <laughs> and talking about them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. I haven't done many myself, but I really do want to. And actually I did start one that like you mentioned with a, a local tree during the pandemic when we couldn't oh. travel, there's this tree that has like yeah. four trunks coming out of it. And so it oh, has wow. such a really cool pattern to the tree. So I did photograph it in, in all the seasons just to see, um, 
and I'm not satisfied with it yet. I think I still need to work it out. But um, but it was fun to be like, okay, here's a tree that I drive past all the time that always yeah. catches my eye. And, you know, now if I make it a, a project, it sort of formalizes the concept of like, okay, well now, yes, it's worth the next, you know, 30 minutes. I'm just going to jump out real quick. And because it's foggy this morning, I want to see if I can get the fog. And you start to see one subject in multiple different ways. And yes, I think that's really good practice too, even if it doesn't become, you know, a project that you share with the world, but just the practice oh, of doing that, you know? Yeah. 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 Because photography should always be about you. Yeah. You know, it's okay to be selfish. It's, this is, you know, your craft, your hobby. Um, and yeah, even if it's a project you're not quite ready to share with the world, it's still fulfilling right. to just have those. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, again, you know, we put so much pressure on ourselves that we, especially with social media, you know, we have to share things with the world. There's a ton of stuff that I haven't shared that I just get so much joy out of just by looking at that, you know, someday it'll be ready for the world, but maybe not yet. And it's right. okay to be selfish and hang on to those images right? until they're, you know, ready or you, you know, cooked them long enough or, right. you know, <laughs> curated them perfectly. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah. But that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I hope you share that someday. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And that's one of the things too. You don't have to travel far to do a project. Right. I mean, they can be yeah. right in your own backyard. And, you know, I think as photographers, we get into this, you know, thought process that, oh my gosh, I'm not going to New Zealand or I'm not going to Iceland and I'm not going to have this amazing work from there. And I, the pandemic taught us there's so much so close to home that you can create with. Exactly. It's pretty inspiring. Totally. I, I totally agree with that. I, it's like a lot of good things that came out of this pandemic. And I think that was one of them is forcing people to be like, okay, let me appreciate where I am and what yes. can I create from here? And uh, definitely raises the the bar a little bit on being able to see things differently, which is great. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So before we uh, wrap things up, are you up for doing a lightning round? Sure. Let's go. All right. So uh, what is your favorite subject to photograph? Oh gosh. Um uh, I would say mud, like textures. Yeah. That I get so much joy out of that. It would either be that or the dolphins. Um it's a tough call. Yeah. But yeah. What is one thing you wish you had learned about photography early on? Um to be your own creative director, to not worry about what other people think of your photography. Um, and to photograph for yourself. I struggled with that for quite a while. It took about two years of frustration um, of just chasing the light, chasing just the grand scenes to get those likes on Facebook to be popular. And when I all let that go out the window and said, nope, I'm going to do this for myself, it was a complete turning point in my photography. So I wish I had just gotten there a little more sooner yeah. just to avoid that frustration and mental anguish. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is one thing that never leaves your camera bag that's not photography gear? Um, oh gosh, that's a good one. Never leaves. Probably, um, I have a compass. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, in my bag that never leaves, um, just in case I wander away somewhere. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I always have chocolate. <laughs> I have like a little pick me up in my bag at all times to keep me motivated and going. <laughs> That's good. I know it sounds ridiculous, but you yeah. know, we all need that like little motivational snack to get us up. Oh, that totally. <laughs> so do you like freeze it before you go out when you're in places like Death Valley? I don't. And you know, I've had, yeah, obviously that's, there are many sad stories of, you know, chocolate melting <laughs> yeah. in my bag because I always do dark yeah. chocolate um, and I just do little squares. 
And oh, yes, it's made yeah. a mess before. So now I try to I have a mind shift bag. So I try to like pack it into the most internal compartment to like protect it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there are a lot of sad stories. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, Yellowstone or Death Valley? Oh, God, we just had this debate on the way home from Yellowstone <laughs> this trip. Um, as much as it kills me to say, I have obviously Death Valley has a ton of personal connection to me. Yeah. Um, but I think Yellowstone edges it out just a little bit. So, yes, I'm going to make a stand Yellowstone there. All I've right. said it. <laughs> uh, last question. What does connecting with nature mean to you? Connecting with nature means being present in the moment. Um, enjoying the gift of that nature is giving you that day, whether it's the weather, the light, um, what's happening around you, and just being able to say, I'm alive today, I'm enjoying this, and this is a wonderful world that we live in. That's beautiful. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been really great connecting with you and chatting with you and hearing your perspectives. And I'm so grateful that you came on the show and shared all that you did with us today. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. If people wanted to learn more about your projects and workshops and photography and all that, what's the best way for them to find you? Um, the best way is on my website. Uh, it's jenniferrenwick.com. Um, from there, I've got all sorts of tabs. I have my projects set up separately on my website. Um, I've got all my galleries and then I have a link to the workshops that we do. Um, we don't have our schedule up for next year quite yet. Um, the pandemic's kind of made that a little difficult. So we're just wrapping up some final details and we should be releasing our 2022 workshop schedule soon. Great. Um, I can say that I'll do a little spoiler alert. Um, we're adding some new locations. Um, we're going to be adding Yellowstone, um, mm -hmm. a small scenes expressive workshop there. Nice. We're collaborating with a few other names um, that will be announced very shortly. Some exciting people we're looking forward to working with. That's great. Um, and we've got some winter in the Tetons and winter in Yellowstone in the next Ooh. few years or two that we're um, kind of figuring out right now. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that my website's probably the best way to connect with me. You can subscribe to my newsletters. I send out a quarterly newsletter. Um, and yeah, just, you know, contact me. And I encourage anyone, you know, anything we've talked about today, you know, please reach out to me. I love talking with things about people. Um, if you've got a photography project, you know, I'm always open to, you know, sharing and, you know, or to seeing what you have and, you know, sharing thoughts. I mean, I just, I love seeing those types of things. So yeah, I'm very awesome. open and love chatting with people. So don't be intimidated. You know, please reach out to me. I love discussing things and helping. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Good, good. I'm so glad. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jennifer. And again, thank you, Jennifer, for coming on the show. And thank you, listeners, for sticking around until the end. I appreciate you. And I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. You can see Jennifer's photography on her website at jenniferrenwick.com. And I highly recommend checking out her upcoming workshops and other educational offerings at exploringexposure.com. And I'll put these and other relevant links in the show notes at outdoorphotographyschool.com forward slash episode 23. And don't forget to check out composewithclarity.com to learn more about my upcoming live workshop and to register with the 15% discount. We have many great guests coming up on the podcast, including Vancouver-based landscape photographer Karen Cooper, who chats with us about owning her own gallery, the importance of environmental preservation, and using her photography as a way of connecting others to nature. 
And shortly after that, we'll have Scotland-based landscape photographer Alistair Benn on the show to talk about expressive photography, his luminosity and contrast theory, and cultivating a creative mindset. So be sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss out on these or any of our upcoming episodes. And I'll be back here next week with a Tidbit Tuesday episode where I'll be answering your submitted questions. And so until then, get outside, my friends, and find yourself a little nature. Take care.